All right, so this morning we'll start something that I think will probably be in the book of Job for maybe just a couple of weeks, and I have the title on it, Doctrine and Science in the Book of Job, or Science and Doctrine in the Book of Job, but not everything we'll look at has to do with science and with doctrine specifically, but a lot of it will. So you could just look at it as interesting parts of Job, but I think you'll see as we go through, the book of Job is a fascinating book. I didn't really go through and print out all of the commentary on it, but I did a little bit of reading where I have always heard that the book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. So I was trying to just look quickly, how exactly do we know that, or why exactly do we think that? Some of it has to do with history behind it, what the Jews think, the way that it described where it was written, the uh, even like the way it was written, they said, is in such an ancient way that some of the different parts of the language and structure and words that were used, it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. The Thompson Chain often has a uh, date in the column next to it. And in Job 1.1, it says 1520 BC with a question mark. And if you look at some of the books of the Pentateuch, it has things right about those exact same time periods. Uh, the Jews' custom is that Moses wrote the book of Job, and he would have spent part of his life at one time close to where that was and perhaps heard the story of Job. And of course, as all scriptures given by inspiration of God penned this amazing book. But at any rate, we don't exactly know who wrote it, but we do know because of a lot of different factors, it's one of the entire oldest books of the Bible. It's kind of fascinating to think about the fact that there was a good chunk of human history without the Bible. When you think about the story of Abraham already, how much had come through, and up to the time of Moses, how many things happened, the scripture obviously wasn't in their hands yet. It wasn't being penned till then, and it wasn't till that exodus from Egypt that God gave Moses a lot of those ritual law that was then instituted as the foundational book in the beginning of the Bible. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Again, it's a little bit different. You can research it more if you want to, but it talks about where that would have been, and basically it's in the Middle East. Some people said close to Arabia. Other people said maybe even closer to where Israel is right now. Um, in Genesis 22 or something like that, there's a verse that talks about Abraham's brother's firstborn son, and it says Huz, H-U-Z, but it looks like most places are saying it's the same as the land of Uz, that perhaps it was from that descendant and where he settled. So at any rate, some people say maybe it was right after Abraham, or some people maybe even before. Some people think this could be the very first book of scripture that was penned. At any rate, it's very fascinating to look at the contents of this book and to look at how much of it has to do with scientific knowledge that matches the best of what we know today and was not able to be proven by man for centuries and thousands of years, but that is accurate and also doctrine that refers to Jesus being Savior and Him reigning on the earth and other verses like that that we'll look at that are just fascinating to know that God gave this revelation to Job. Okay, so I think I might have had this a little out of order, but I do want to say here, God has 
always, from day one, given revelation to mankind. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. General revelation is the knowledge within our heart that as we look at creation around us, there was a God that must have created this. There must be a God that I should seek. We are born with conscience. John chapter 1 tells us Jesus is the light that lights every man that cometh into the world. Jesus personally draws every single person to God the Father and pulls and calls on them. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Other means of that general revelation, as I said, conscience, it says that the law is written on the heart of the Gentiles that are lost. There's something within us that knows that God is real and that he must exist and that we must seek him. Then there is special revelation, which is God working especially and providentially and sometimes miraculously in in humanity. He gives light to people. He does miracles. He speaks directly to them. Definitely him giving us the Bible by inspiration was special revelation of God. And I am among those who believe that now that the Bible is completed, we do not have need anymore for many of these forms of special revelation or for the gift of speaking in tongues and all of those different things and miracles and healing, though God can certainly still work however he chooses to. In this day and age of technology and video uh, recordings and all of that, God does want us to believe by faith, so he works among us, but we have a completed record of the Bible. We have so much more knowledge than men of the Old Testament who spoke to God directly, had the Bible parts of it given through them and penned it. In the whole record of the scripture, we have more light and knowledge and a complete record than they had. But there was a time period where these people lived, where Job lived, where there was no written word of God, but there was still revelation. A lot of it we don't know exactly, but there are several examples in the Old Testament where once God spoke through a donkey. God spoke through the donkey, okay? It was God communicating with man. God spoke directly to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he walked with them. No doubt their descendants, though they didn't have the Bible, had written and oral stories all the way from creation up to that time about the God who created everything and the great flood that came and the animal sacrifice that was given to please God and how Cain and Abel and the one gave the correct sacrifice and one in his flesh did not and the other murdered his brother. They had these stories. There's even something in the Old Testament called that the priests used to have and it was stones that went on the breastplate and i think it was called umim and thummim does anybody done much reading about that that's close to it it might be exactly right i was thinking urim and thummim but it's something very much like it was some form yeah urim i'm sorry thank you for that again I, i left a couple of my notes in the car that i'm trying to remember this introduction they wore it on their breastplate and apparently god was able sometimes through the stones through the colors they were or through the casting of lots as it were to direct them in what they were to do now god's not going to do that today we have his word completed but for that section of human history uh, the book of proverbs says something about the casting of lots it's given to the lord and the outcome of it god is in it and god used that to guide them um 
creation has always spoken to man. God had prophets who spoke to man. And people like Job in Enoch, who knew things that we now know from other sections of the Bible, they didn't have them, but God had revealed it unto them. Remember in our study about Daniel's 70 weeks, it was said of Enoch that in his day, which was before the flood, he preached and prophesied and said, Behold, the Lord God cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon the ungodly. That's the end of Daniel's 70th week. That's when he not only comes, but when he comes with the saints and when he comes for the purpose of executing judgment. God always gave them light. I forgot to look up. I remember years ago we watched something with Kent Hoven where he talked about the gospel and the stars and some people had a theory. I don't know if there's anything to that or if you might want to look it up later, but Jason, do you remember any of what that was about? There, I would say it this way, Karen. Uh, there is clearly, I know you've done some reading in standards too, there is clearly something to it. Now some of it might be mysterious, but uh, how many things does God give something good and the devil gives a false, polluted version of it. Uh, there's somewhere in the Psalms, I believe the word used in the King James Version is Nazareth. Is that word in the King James Version? You don't remember for sure? We both read a book one time. Somebody wrote, kind of uh, alluded to it. But if you can find the Maseroth is at least an accurate term, that yes, some of God's truths or something like that was there. And I think it was perverted through horoscopes and astrology. And like you said, with the full light of the word of God today, I don't think we really need to be looking to the stars at all, but there was a time when in Hebrew and in Old Testament, the Maseroth referring to the stars, there is at least something to it, although I don't know exactly what. So that may be something if you want to look up that later on. I don't know if, like I said, if I've looked at it enough to know if there really is something to it or not, but I think there is some references in the Bible to the stars and God putting the truth out there. At any rate, God has always given revelation to mankind, and so we say, well, they didn't have the Bible, but they had a lot of light, and they had a lot of God directly telling them things, evidently through the prophets, that were really good Bible doctrine. So that was the history of the book of Job. That was a little bit about how God used to speak to mankind, and then briefly a survey of the book of Job. The whole thing is 42 chapters. We're very familiar with the story. And if we were to recount every single part of it, it would take a long time. This isn't that much of an in-depth study of it as maybe I would do someday. But let's look at chapter one, just a few verses. We'll read a little bit here and there. Verse number two, we already read verse one. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Again, pointing to the area where he lived, somewhere over in the Middle East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. He took his parental duty so seriously that when he knew his children were gathering, not for a sinful purpose, but he said, what if, maybe, what if their heart is drawn away from God I'm going to pray for them. What an incredible testimony is given of the book of Job. Perfect, meaning complete, mature, upright, 
feared God and eschewed evil and the way that he responds to the trials that comes we think of David a man after mine heart that own heart that fulfilled all my will we think of John the Baptist the greatest born among women Jesus said was John the Baptist but what a testimony Job had that was right there next to that verse 6 one of the most fascinating scenes of all the Bible when their curtain is peeled back in heaven now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them the sons of God here I think are referring to angels that would come and present themselves before God for a variety of reasons I think that later on in the book of Job it mentions the sons of God praising God as he created the earth I personally think at this time that people were in paradise in the heart of the earth if you died before the time of Jesus but at any rate I think it's the angels coming and going before God and we know from this passage sometimes the devil would just show up with them and talk to God verse 7 and the Lord said unto Satan whence comest thou then Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it what did Peter write your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth where the devil will never once set foot but as of right now he kind of goes back and forth between the two he's real he's in the earth he hates God he hates God's people and sometimes he goes up to heaven we read in Revelation how halfway through the tribulation period the devil comes to heaven and there's a fight that breaks out and Michael and his angels cast out the devil and the angels that were with him and it says from that day forward their place was no more found in heaven and what does he do he does what he does here he's walking in the earth as a roaring lion and then in Revelation that's chapter 12 I think 12 or 13 it says the accuser of our brethren which did accuse them night and day before God it's the same thing that was happening in this book verse 8 and the Lord said unto Satan hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth a perfect and an upright man one that feareth God and escheweth evil and you imagine God bragging about you what a, a good man that Job was not a perfect sinless one but what a good man then Satan answered the Lord and said doth Job fear God for naught? hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face as we consider the doctrine of Job one of the the first things that we take away as far as not what Job knew at his day but what it teaches us the first thing we think of, about is the fact that God allows trials it's the main message of the book when a brother or sister or us goes through a trial in the land and in our time it is not necessarily because we are more wicked than others or because God is punishing us sometimes God does send punishment when we rebel and we refuse to turn to him but sometimes with all of our heart we can cry out to God what have we done wrong I repent help me and God will say I'm still gonna let you go through this trial and it's for my glory and my purpose will be done and that God has an amazing way of taking the attacks of the devil and turning it about for good how many Saints and how many Christians throughout all generations have been able to read the book of Job and take comfort that as they went through the fire perhaps it is not because God is angry at me as Job's friend said perhaps it is because God has a greater purpose and he will try me and I shall come forth as gold 
We see also, though, from this verse 10, one of the great lessons of the book of Job is the providence of God and just how in control God is in our life. Notice the devil mentions in verse 10, there is a hedge of protection around Job, around his house and around all that he has on every side. Praise the Lord, though it was an invisible hedge that Job could not see as he walked with God. God set boundaries for the devil and God protected Job and his substance in his household. And may we pray and cry out to God and say, please put that hedge of protection around me. As we rebel against God in sin, those protections can be removed because of that. And the devil seeks to destroy us. May we seek to be under proper authority that God has given us. Seek to be right with God as much as we can so that we are not intentionally trying to leave and break that hedge of thorns, as it were, that God has placed about us for our own protection. God is in control. Martin Luther once said, the devil is God's devil. I'm not a total fan of Martin Luther. They came out of the Catholic Church and the Reformation and they took some of the Catholic Church with him with them and and left it even in this day in their doctrine but i am glad that around europe and all over the world there was a mass exodus from the catholic church and a waking up to say we can't simply trust what those leaders are telling us in those days they forbade them to read the bible they said no only the priest can do that we'll tell you what it means but the word of god was given to all of us and as martin luther wrote his 95 thesis and protested and they became known as protestants or protesters god did a great work and what he meant by that statement even the devil is god's devil is that god created the devil the devil didn't create god the devil has to go to god to get permission god doesn't have to go to the devil to get permission and god can even use the attacks of satan to bring about good and to bring about glory. I think of Samson and the attack of the lion and the riddle that was given where out of the destroyer, out of the eater, came forth meat and came forth honey. Now the story is is more detailed than that and Samson did things wrong, but there's sort of this picture where the devil comes to destroy us as a roaring lion and God takes that attack and then turns it about to give us meat to eat and give us honey and to give us good things. And again, this attack that came against Job and his family, God took it, turned it around and used it for his honor and glory and to give people strength throughout all the history of the church as they read this blessed book. The devil said in verse 11, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We won't read all of these verses for time's sake, but we know what happened. His children were eating and drinking, and a messenger came and said, the oxen were plowing, the the animals and the Sabians came in verse 15 and took them all away. They killed all the servants, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, another one came and said, Fire fell from heaven, devoured the sheep, the servants, wiped them all out, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. The Chaldeans came also and killed the servants and fell upon the camels. And while he was yet speaking, another one came, and the unthinkable grief that Job and his wife had to go through when a great wind from the wilderness smote the four corners of the house 
and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. The devil is a destroyer. He's called a devourer. Jesus told Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to take and totally destroy. And when God gave him permission to do these horrible things to Job, he did not kill seven, eight, or nine of his children. He took all ten. Let us not fear the devil if we have God's power with us, but let us fear to face Satan apart from God and to fall into his hands. Amen. Verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sin not, nor charge God foolishly. What an amazing character, and what an amazing truth. He said, I came into the world naked, meaning I did not come bringing a whole lot of stuff with me. And when I leave, I'm not taking anything with me. And whatsoever God gives us, God also has a right to take away. In chapter 2, the devil comes back before God. He's come from the same place, going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 3, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? I wonder if Job ever read this story in the Bible after he got to heaven and was like, Lord, could you just have picked someone else, or could you maybe have just not said anything? But God knows what he's doing, and God has a plan. That's why total surrender to God is willingness to accept sorrow as well as good, blessing as well as cursing, the mountaintop as well as the valley, because God has a purpose in all that he is doing. And if we by faith are saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done, that includes whatever God decides. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. In the verses that follow, verse 7, the devil went forth and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. If you've ever had the chicken pox or poison ivy or anything, you can know that that can sometimes be the worse misery than breaking a bone or than sorrow or grief. And here he sits with nothing left. Verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. I've always loved to notice in verse 10, Job did not call his wife a foolish woman. Mm -hmm. He simply said, You're speaking as one of the foolish women would speak. I believe that's because he had compassion on her and because she went through everything that he did, perhaps even more, for she gave birth to those children. Mm -hmm. And she was in her grief. And sometimes when people are in grief, that's when they throw those spears as King Saul threw them at David. That's when sometimes the words come out as arrows and may we be careful not to do that, not to say things that we don't really mean when we're hurting, but also to love people and show them compassion. And I believe he had compassion on his wife. 
in the verses that follow, his friends show up and come. And it says in verse 13, they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. His friends come, and they sit there in silence for a full seven days. Chapter 3, Job begins to lament and curse the day that he was born and to wonder why these things had come upon him. That's the main gist of the story of Job. The ending of it is God coming to him again and blessing him with more than he ever had and telling Job to trust him because God is wise and he knows things that we do not know. In the meantime, beginning in chapter 4, throughout much of the book, his friends come and make false accusations and tell him that no man could suffer this much from the hand of God unless he had wickedness or sin in his heart that was unrepented of, stuff that people didn't know about, and they were saying, that's why God is punishing you. They go back and forth. Job defends himself. Job begins to question and says, I wish that I could stand before God and plead my case as one would before a judge, as a lawyer. Job begins to say somewhat, this isn't right. Why has God let this happen? There's one other friend of Job whose name was Elihu, and somewhere in the middle of the book of Job, he begins to speak. If you read what he says, he appears to be very angry. He appears to say some things to Job and about Job that are very harsh. But it's interesting to note the reason he was upset, he said he was angry because Job justified himself rather than God. Elihu says, I'm younger, I waited, but I have some things to say. And he speaks up for God. And in the end of the book, when God shows up to correct the friends of Job, he corrects the ones that come to him here early on, but he doesn't have a word to say about Elihu. Does that mean that all of it was perfect? Does that mean that everything he said was right and that he should have been that harsh on Job? I don't know, but I do know that God left him alone and corrected the other friends. The book of Job is one of the best examples in the Bible of having to take scripture in context. If we just flipped to the middle of the book of Job and started preaching from it, we might miss the fact that in the end of the book of Job, God shows up and said a lot of what they said was nonsense. So scripture is always accurate in what it records. When the devil says something and the Bible writes it down, that's what the devil said. But you have to look at the context to know, is it the message from God? Is it true or is it not? And then in the very end of the book of Job, God shows up and says, Job, since you think you're right and I'm not, let me ask you some questions. And it's epic for three chapters where God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Can you tell me how much water is in the sea? How about the way I created this and the way I created that? Can you explain it to me? God tells him, I'm God and you're not. Then we get to chapter 42 and Job says, I repent, I return to God. What an amazing man of character. I cannot imagine how many people could handle it as well as Job handled it, but yet he still began to attempt to justify himself rather than God. There is no sinless man or woman that has ever lived, only the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. But God is a God of great compassion. And Job was a wonderful friend because God turned around his captivity when he prayed for his friends. So this morning we're going to stop there. We talked a little bit about the history of the book of Job, the historical setting and the time period. We talked a little bit about 
means of revelation and modes that God used to reveal himself to mankind before the Bible was written, that sometimes he talked to them directly, sometimes he talked through animals, he used the casting of lots in different places, and sometimes he gave his prophets special revelation and good doctrine that other people did not have, though we believe that has stopped at this point in time in history because we have the completed work of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and believers. That's how he used. And then we stopped and did a little bit of a survey of the book of Job, the main story in chapters one and two, and then sort of talked about what happened the rest of the book and how it ended. And so I think next week, and I may take a break from this between now and the end of the month, but our series and thoughts pretty much from here on out, now that we've set it up, will be science and doctrine in the book of Job. Next week, we'll jump right into looking about verses in the book of Job that have amazing scientific accuracy and prove the inspiration of the Bible, though they were written, one of the oldest books of the Bible written thousands and thousands of years ago before people could have known these things. And that's because it was from God and it's all the word of God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for these simple thoughts from the book of Job this morning. I pray that they would be a blessing to us. I pray that we would listen to your word as it is preached this morning, that you would help pastor as he preaches the word, that your Holy Spirit would be here, would meet with us, and that you would bless all that we go to do today. May it all be done for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.